Wish you up. Welcome to the latest episode of the Independent Minded Podcast on iHeartRadio, iTunes, and ElvisDuran.com. It's the podcast for the people. Yeah, specifically people who love independent music and art. We've got that DIY moxie, that independent spirit. I'm Ronnie Scalzo, resident bald freak at Elvis Duran in the Morning Show, and an indie musician myself. Check out my carpet samples. It's all at baldfreak.com. And follow what's up with the podcast on social. It's at baldfreakmusic. And here we are, episode 58, and my very special guest this go-round is a hugely charismatic character from the Ukraine. He is Eugene Hoots frontman and founder of renowned gypsy punk band Gogo Bordello. Eugene stops in to talk about the band's new album, Seekers and Finders, and we cover all the bases, philosophy, neuroscience, wearing ants pants, his father the vegetarian butcher, and why you shouldn't mix Jägermeister and whiskey. Or maybe why you should, I forget. Either way, if you like playful conversation, if you like violins, if you like passion, if you love broken English, then this, my friends, is the episode for you. Kicking it off with Saboteur Blues, the first single off Seekers and Finders, then my interview with Eugene Hoots, right here on Independent Minded. Let's boogie! It's Ronnie Scalzo's amazing podcast. It's Ronnie Scalzo's amazing podcast. He's talking to people who make art and music. He's plugging their projects. He's making them famous. He's helping them out just by making them talk about all the cool shit that they do.
Salvador Blues Josh had to go down to the classic rock station to uh, to get you coffee, so oh. it'll be classic rock coffee. Hope you don't mind. It's a little darker. Bring it on. A little older. <laughs> a little gray. Scared kind of coffee. <laughs> be a simple man kind of coffee. I am a simple man after all. Simple man from Ukraine, just very uh, agro cultural romantic heroics type of thing. Can we just start the interview like now in the middle of your ramble? All right, yes. I'm, <laughs> I'm here with Eugene Hoots from Gogol Bordello. Uh-huh. How are you, my friend? Yeah, all right, man. I feel like we've already talked uh, quite a bit, and we just started the interview here. We're waiting for uh, coffee to be made. Mm-hmm. You are here to promote your new album, Seekers and Finders. Yeah. I want to make a confession. I've known all about- right. <laughs> I'm nervous. <laughs> I've known about uh, Gogol Bordello for years, uh-huh. and admittedly, it was one of those bands that I just never- no one ever kind of turned me on to them. I know a lot of people who like you guys and who've liked you guys over the years, mm-hmm. but yeah. I did not really dive into your music, and I, I want to apologize for that. I did dive headfirst over the past couple of weeks after hearing the singles for the new record, and it's one of those bands like, why? what have I been missing? Why did I not, why did I not dive into your music? I don't think you have to apologize about that at all. I've experienced exactly what you're talking about with some of my favorite musicians in the world. Yes, I Stand behind that. All right. You so. are free to do that. <laughs> <laughs> no, I feel like there are plenty of bands, even at my age, that just have been around for years and years. And even now, when everything is so accessible on You're YouTube. You're being and- selective, and that's the way to go. I mean, I, I, I'm extremely selective about with music that I'm listening to. A lot more selective than when I was more extroverted and kind of moving around the world and coming back with bags uh, of, of CDs and, and recordings of all kind of regional phenomena and, you know, an- anonymous musicians who basically live from gig to gig, you know, and, mm-hmm. you know, like nobody ever heard their name except for people who were in that bar that night. And it was exciting to bring that kind of music home and, and then blow people away with a DJ set of just that. And uh, I enjoyed like writing my own symphony with those pieces and just showing that, you know, music is quite powerful even if it's completely not included into any word of world of commerce let's talk about the new album uh saboteur blues i think therefore i am no longer rings the bell was a line that really kind of resonated with me you quoting renee descartes he must have meant something else yeah my translation of that is like it's a song about living in the moment not Mm self-sabotaging does this come from a personal experience can you cite an example of uh self-sabotage in your own life career maybe this interview right now where (laughs) where you you know you're thinking in the past you the future and not living in the moment because i do that a lot as a songwriter oh it's a disease it's uh (laughs) it's everywhere i mean it's a it's a it's an epidemic that particular syndrome is so deeply ingrained in in people and and me included saboteur blues is a very ambitious song is a quite a task try to put you know, everything that dervishes and Sufists and all sort of mystics that walked the earth for thousands of years that they put in their scriptures, it's quite ambitious to put it into a three-minute pop song, <laughs> you know? <laughs> Yet, it's a kind of challenge I like. So, <laughs> it seems like the lines that jumped out on you kind of seem it's working to, on some level, because it did bother me since the childhood, you know, I mean... Ukraine, where I was born and raised, is, is essentially part of Europe, you know. I mean, it's kind of Euro-Asia, but it's, it's essentially more influenced by Europe. And consequently, 
you know, I think, therefore, I am. You know, I've heard that since I was a child in school, yes. However, I always felt like a part of me was saying that, I mean, René Descartes, as a mathematician and philosopher and a man of this incredible intellectual power, couldn't be this stupid <laughs> as to utter this. There must be more to this because clearly thinking is only one of the few facilities that is a very important facility to be able to analyze and have critical thinking. But it's pretty far from being all we are. I mean, there is an emotional world. There is just perception. Ask any uh, modern neuroscientist, they'll tell you all about it. There's vast facilities that we are only tapping in. So consequently, I felt like it's, it's something else completely. It's like more like I, f I perceive and feel, therefore, I, uh, therefore I, I reflect or therefore I project or therefore I uh, rock. <laughs> 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 something like that, you know. Performing a song and kind of digging into it from a different angle is really the key to, to that payoff we're talking about. This is your seventh proper studio album, and it mm -hmm. seems like you take a different approach with every album before. It's kind of yeah. like the music comes to you, you don't come to the music. Does that make sense to you? Yes. Okay. Yes. <laughs> it, it, I, I wait till there's knocking on a door. Before you open it and see what's on the other side, I guess. Yeah. That's hippie stuff, man. Well, I mean, it's got labeled to be hippie stuff, but is it? I mean, it could be said it's a dervish stuff. Or, well, you know, I don't it's... know any neuroscientists, so the whole the whole thing about saboteur blues, I'm going to take your word for it. I mean, it makes sense. Oh, to you got to you got to get in with the kids, man. You know, you got to know what neuroscience is. I mean, I'm in the wrong industry for that. I think we're the opposite of brain surgeons here in the radio industry. <clears throat> uh, producing and mixing is something you've done on this new album, and you mentioned earlier that you've worked with Rick Rubin. I, I know you've worked with Steve Albini. Yes. What about this album made you decide I'm going to go behind the board and take the reins. Just to disrupt the whole situation of algorithm that already kind of became established in a band. You know, I write the songs, I bring them in. They are pretty completed. I mean, of course, there's variations and, you know, different producer, different exotic location. That's all very important stuff. Different speed of recording. Every record is still, you're in a different part of life. And uh, it's really, the route we prefer to take it, it's still a rite of passage in a way, every time you do it. It has to be like that. That way there is excitement and that way there, it's quite unnerving in certain sense. That way there is a fragility and naivety to it. You kind of have to go a certain way with a lack of knowing what you're doing. Being kind of naive, I think, is key uh, to making anything original. And unique, and, and and only in that way the soul kind of opens up and start giving you guidance. I know from my own experience, when someone else produces and mixes your album, you can take a step away from it, even though you're obviously clearly invested in the songwriting and how you want the song to sound in your head. But now you're at the controls, and I know this from my own experience of producing my own stuff mm -hmm. and listening to mixes back. Mm -hmm. When do you put it down? Like, when does that guided spirit say, okay, it's done now, you know, <laughs> before you go I insane? I can tell you. I can tell you. I don't think my band wants me to produce another record. <laughs> it does not stop. Right. I mean, it stops when, when it's... There are several examples where it was quite obvious that it's time to, like, okay, it's that, but... I, I'm a hyper-imaginative, and uh, the line is quite hard to draw. In that sense, having somebody you trust, you know, somebody who has a, a great awareness of, you know, where the train is going, 
maybe that's enough for that record that I just wrote it, arranged it, and I recorded it with my fantastic colleagues. You're still hands-on. You still collaborate. There's a certain amount of trust, too. Like in, with the, we end up with these particular people for a reason. But this time I felt differently. I just felt like, hey, listen, I really want to get there fully because this record I feel is extremely somehow, it's like I'm making it out of my my bone marrow, you know? It's, it's like embarrassing to sing these songs in the presence of another person. It's too much. <laughs> now the trust lays squarely on, on your own shoulders. I mean, how much do you trust yourself to step away from a song or step away from a record and say, okay, it's done? As a musician, you want it to sound as you know pristine and, or maybe not as pristine, as raw as possible, depending on what you're going yeah, for. Yeah, but uh, it, it's all about preservation of rawness. It's not about making it more and more palatable. My producing was chiefly about preserving the violin and emphasizing the, the beauty of particular instruments that sometimes um, I felt maybe were a little bit obscured. We were all there, including Sergei, you know, who is the violin player, and create modern music, tell the story in a modern way, and still reflect the old world dirt to it. <laughs> You know, it's a quite, it's, you have to know what it is and you have to be there yourself turning the nubs. You have to be from Eastern Europe. You know? you, well, that you, you disqualifies have to be, me. You have to be somebody with a mileage at some Eastern European weddings where that thing was like, uh, in your ear, you know, and like pissed you off. And <laughs> I'm from Western Brooklyn, not Eastern Europe. I mean, we have our own set of dirt, but uh, it's yeah. probably not the same as yours. <laughs> you mentioned earlier you grew up in the Ukraine. You lived for a, a period of time in Brazil. But New York City is home for the band. Yeah, it is. It's a mysterious draw, but I just accepted it. You know, it's like, here I am back after unforgettable years in Latin America and Brazil and Argentina. I very connect with those cultures, you know. They're very uh, firecrackery in a similar way to uh, Eastern Europe. So I kind of went there, seemed like a romantic visit, and it became like this whole chapter of life. New York sort of like uh, has this kind of, it's an incredible focus point. It seems like I can go places around the world and on a long tour or, or a long trip, but most of my writing happens on my flight back to New York City. Something starts to happen where like, probably because I'm disconnected from the earth and I think it physically goes into your... Uh, your mind immediately disconnects from, uh, you know, it's ge geographically so dislocated that everything starts coming this focus. When I arrive, generally in the first week afterwards, it seems like I'm capable to tell the stories in the best possible way here. That's fantastic, and I, I, I bless that. When did you land in New York the first time, like when you first got here? Oh, in 1990. When did you first pick up a guitar? When did you... Realized oh. that this was something <laughs> that was long before that. Long before 1990, I would imagine. Yes, my I I basically was uh, fortunate to inherit my rock music education from my father, and uh, who was uh, an, an anomaly in Ukraine, and uh, was a deep lover and researcher. He is uh, now he's listening to music which much more modern than I am. He knows like every German and like Scandinavian industrial band. <laughs> <You know? laughs> really? Yes. He doesn't quit. You know, he he went on and surpassed my musicological research. What did he do for a living? Was he a musician or? He was a, a vegetarian butcher. 
a vegetarian yeah, butcher. Yeah, that was that was not his <laughs> official occupation. His official occupation was a butcher. Butcher, but which was kind of a special occupation there. You have to kind of get there. Yeah, as a country was had deficit of uh, food. Let's say uh, that right. Way. Okay. But uh, you know, somewhere along the way, it clicked with me that when I was like maybe twelve or thirteen. Hey, my father cuts meat for a living. He is absolutely immersed in music, and our house is filled with yoga books. He does that, and he introduced me to to yoga essentially when I was a very little kid. I mean, I just kind of downloaded the whole thing from him. And uh, we are going through this like a established cuisine in the house as vegetarian. <laughs> so <laughs> it's very anomaly <clears throat> situation. Then it led naturally to another oasis of anomalies that I discovered my own music, which was, you know, after knowing Jimi Hendrix and uh, Pink Floyd and all of that, like I knew all that by the age I was five, basically, you know, like, nice, or three, too. you know. Different circumstances, that's for sure, but that's Yeah, cool. I mean, I was born to those sounds. <laughs> So then, of course, I went on discovering punk rock and uh, Joy Division and Devo and, um, you know, Nick Cave, Leonard Cohen, and, and made my own record collection. But I was in a bubble of people in Ukraine that were so enthusiastic. We all discovered kind of music at the same time, the punk rock music. And we were creating and starting bands given everything we have to it including like making our own instruments and you know distortion pedals out of various home equipment uh, stealing parts you know and from the school you know and <laughs> rewiring stuff re resoldering yeah. stuff that fascinates me i don't know how i would go about even trying to do that as a kid oh you quit you learn quick i mean this is not <laughs> that, that complicated actually you're to not a, the, yeah you're not the to first make person a guitar to tell is that. not that electric guitar is not that complicated it's a lot easier to, than to make acoustic guitar it's just a few details and it's some plywood and you know it's going to take a little bit of craftsmanship but it's possible did American bands or European other European bands come around to your neck of the woods to perform? Was there a place to perform when you were a kid? Back then, uh, the only band, and this is scientific fact. No more uh, science. Actually, yes, uh, scientific historical fact. And the only band with a proper, actual, uncompromising artistic intention of such that came to, to Ukraine and performed was Sonic Youth. Sonic Youth of all the bands. Yes, uh, I don't know what propelled them to do it. <laughs> uh, nobody knew who they are. I mean, nobody knew who they are. Were like pretty much nowhere at that time. It was like 1989, I think. Yeah. All right. So that'd be a relatively young band. At the yeah, time. yeah, yeah. I mean, it was so inspiring and transformational for all 150 people who went to that show. <laughs> it was a beginning of new era. But every one of those people who was at that show went and did something afterwards it's literally like it was that inspirational it was sure. this inspirational yeah. it was transbending <laughs> transbending people became like a first electronic uh, music guru in ukraine and put out all these incredible albums people started co collectives of all sorts it was just like wow we were never hit by sonic hammer like that you know well, it's Sonic Youth, so Sonic Hammer yeah, makes sense. Yeah, very much. Now, now, did you perform for the first time in New York or in America, or did you do that before you, you got here? Did like, Do you recall the first time you got on a stage in front of people, and and oh, yeah. how did you feel about it? Were you like, this is what I want to do? Another anomaly. 
There's a bunch. <laughs> yeah, uh, <laughs> the list goes on. <laughs> uh, what people call some kind of a stage fright or that kind of thing, I like never experienced it. I was asked to fill in once in this kind of a eccentric school theater or something like that. Like I had no idea what was going on because I was like this extremely uh, cynical about all that sort of like school organized performances teams and yeah. all that kind of stuff like i was just so uh, uh you were punk yeah. rock back then yeah i was, I was like i don't know <laughs> what that like i don't know how to <laughs> what that's for it was quite dubious what is this school event for <laughs> okay well. i just skipped school like month in a row like just i just didn't see any purpose of going there actually anyway um you don't seem any less intelligent because of it. Oh, I don't think that school <laughs> system of education has anything to do with intelligence. It's right. just stuffing with irrelevant info till you're completely stupid. <laughs> <laughs> till you have like no more space left on hard drive <laughs> to at least to learn a language that you need in future. <laughs> All right, let's talk about your style. You're wearing a polka dot and fish shirt. Oh, am I? Okay. You got, uh, you got, yes, what is a, that on your pants? You got ants on your pants? Oh, yes. It's usually um, in the in your pants, but they're on your pants. Where do you, where do you shop? What well, makes the Eugene <laughs> Hoots style? How do you, how does that happen? I don't know. I just, I don't really pay that much This is like a TMZ question. It. They <laughs> just things kind of jump out at me. This particular ants pants ants pants <laughs> he's got his it's, ants pants on just uh, i was walking i was just walking down the street and and the guy literally like there was somebody, somebody peddling ants pants no, somebody somebody <laughs> just looked out out of the door of the store and said hey man that's your shit. i saw you walk i saw you looking at those pants and the one you gotta come on check it out you gotta come and try it on i know who you are that's your shit. who is this guy <laughs> those guys from paul smith's store oh, okay. I, was, I, was, I was like you're right this is actually my shit. <laughs> so you know <laughs> I think fashion is like a, it's not to be taken too serious, of, of course, because it's just sort of like this temporary skin you're wearing and you can shed it at the end of the day. In a way, it's sort of a helpful thing to keep you in particular humor. You know what I mean? It's just like, I am, I'm, wearing I am sta I'm staying in uplifted mode here, you know, I'm determined to, uh, <laughs> to, to uh, kind of complete the tasks of the day here. You so. <laughs> With this fabulous outfit on. Or These what pants <laughs> say... I am here to stay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, whatever you wear on this tour, a trademark of the band is the you know the live experience of the band and, <laughs> and the high energy. I mean, most of most of the photos of you online are. I mean, is it? Yeah. I mean, what do you say to people in Australia who like never seen us and like crying about? I mean, crying. <laughs> Listen to me, <laughs> but like no band very well and follow it. Like yeah. they never seen us. I mean, actually, we've been to Australia once, but. I think that, yes, live is very important, but I think that sonic record capturement is very important. So you're refuting the claims that you're a high-energy live band? <laughs> um, I think uh, this time around we will become a live high-energy band. Okay, yes. this time around. This <laughs> yes. Time. yes, now we're gonna, not going to hold back anymore. How do you stay in shape on tour? How do you how do you stay sane on tour? Are you sane on tour? Are you sane right now? You're hacking into the into the secret. <laughs> we don't stay in shape. <laughs> Who <Okay>. told you? <laughs> it's like a it's an ambitious thing to like <laughs> to even think about. I mean, tour is more of like a crusade. You know, you gain condition, and then you spend it, and you crawl back home on all four. <laughs> I mean, you kind of maybe try to keep shape by not mixing like 
you know, uh, you know, Jägermeister with like uh, whiskey and like on regular basis. <laughs> on a regular basis. But but so we learned that a little bit maybe. These are the secrets. Yeah, you know, also touring is just it's whatever you make out of it. It's almost like every tour is just as different as every album. Really. We somehow found a way to kind of set up a theme of the tour or the theme of the tour will evolve. If we're in Europe, let's just like make this a Bruegel and Bosch tour. You know, just let's go and see paintings of all these guys and no matter where we are, in Vienna, Madrid, Brussels, we're just going to go and see like these particular two painters because, you know, they're some of our favorites. So let's nail that and that will bring additional adventure. And so, and so then we do and we kind of, try to stick with that theme, you know, by sometimes compromising sound checks. <laughs> well, <laughs> well, well, in between the, the Jaeger whiskey mixes, uh, you mentioned yoga before. I mean, do you engage in anything like that? Meditation? That, I to do. To kind of keep yourself sane? I do, but it's, the, you know, usually people kind of get on on that and then they just like, you can't shut them up about it. <laughs> and they think it's everybody else's task too. And they get angry that you don't do it. But it's not like that. I mean, sometimes I walk away from it and like forget all about it. This thing that particularly I favored was um, Marshall Chikung. I don't know what that is. It's a kind of it's a kind of like um, it's a form of kung fu body conditioning. You know, I mean, can I you could... demonstrate anything for us right now? Yes, well, it's an audio podcast. Though. Yes, actually, yeah, I, I love breaking furniture in radio stations. Okay, <laughs> me too. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of my whole thing. <laughs> And uh, I don't want to disappoint you, you know, that I'm some kind of fake. Oh, no. I, I, it's not that I don't believe you. It's not that, it's not no, that I don't it's believe not in like your skills. That. It's a lot more uh, of just staying in alignment. Before we go, I want to quote you in the press release describing Seekers and Finders. You say, it feels quite complete in capturing the Gogol Familia transcontinental lifestyle, every side of it. The good, the bad, and the snuggly. <laughs> what is the snuggly? Yeah, I'm just fooling around with the whole spaghetti eastern theme forever. <laughs> spaghetti it's eastern. Like, it's, well, that's yeah. your version of spaghetti western. Yeah, it's my right. version of spaghetti western. You know, it's just like I always had this dream. I'm gonna make this. I'm gonna direct this movie. You know, it's gonna be this spaghetti western movie with all these amazing characters I met in my life. I'm sort of gonna invite them all and uh, let them have a ball and just be characters. Maybe not unlike like that movie Stride to Hell by Alex Cox, I think. Shane McGowan from The Pogues was in it. Joe Strummer yeah, was in it. Like Jim Jarmusch was in See, it. See, I got to write this down. Hold yeah, uh, check it out. And I was like, I got to make my called? own Stride to Hell. Straight to Hell, all right. So I thought I'm going to make something like that. And, and this theme is just floating in my periphery, you know, like it's all just a spaghetti Eastern, you know. <laughs> it's all a kind of a joke in, in a certain way. Well, I want to congratulate you on a very eclectic and fantastic record, Seekers and Finders. Um, oh, thank you. Well-produced. Instant masterpiece. I hear, <laughs> I hear a rumor you, you're going to play a song off that record for us now. The gregarious Eugene Hoots from Gogol Bordello, thanks so much for coming in today and uh, blowing my mind a little bit. I'm glad I finally got to know you and your music. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much for having And yeah, let's do a song. Independent-minded with Ronnie Scalzo. Um, all right, let's attempt this. There must be more to this life than one strife after a strife. 
must be more for us together Than one damn thing after another I know there must be some kind of art of life Then there's it all like butter dust and knife Not a some forgotten mystic delve But break on through into your higher self Into your higher self Into your higher self of joy, the shining light of luminescent eyes ahoy, and because of suchness of all things, and oh yes that one, that makes fiery rings, I know there must be some kind of art of life, that does it all, like a butter does a knife, not some forgotten mystic delf, Break on through into your higher self Into your higher self Into your higher self <laughs> One money after money One phobia after phobia One damn strife after a strife Promise of the Frontiers now turn to jewels all his years. Secrets out, but used by none. So it flickered and was gone. I know there must be some kind of art of life that does it all like butter does a knife. Not the some forgotten mystic delve. That was an exclusive acoustic performance of Break Into Your Higher Self by Gogol Bordello. Earlier in the podcast, we heard Saboteur Blues, both off the new album Seekers and Finders. Find out more at gogolbordello.com. Follow the band on social at Gogol Bordello. And check out the band on their U.S. tour through early October with another one of my faves in support and another band who's graced this podcast with their presence, Lucky Chops. I want to thank Eugene for his unique perspective on music and life. Ray Rolden from Ray B for hooking it up. And the most punk gypsy in the radio world, Elvis Duran. I can't read. It's too late. I'm drunk.